You're listening to the Bible uncut and unfiltered. We believe the Bible doesn't need to be watered down or cleaned up to be understood. Our goal is to provide a healing place to discuss the questions you can't ask and the context you won't learn in church. I'm your host, Colin Connor. Now, on to the episode. Welcome back, everyone. We have a couple of special guests here with us today. I am joined firstly by our lovely editor, Jana. She is here on the episode today. And also a couple of friends, I'll say from college, uh, that's commercially (laughs) accurate. (laughs) We have Chris and Rachel Nobile on the podcast with us today. And we met them in college. Chris and Rachel were actually finished with college uh, when we met them, but they had moved right to the area where Jenna and I were at college. And through just a series of events, they happened to be at the same church that I was attending. We kind of became friends at that time. And then I guess actually became friends almost more so afterward, after we left, we talked a little bit uh, over phone and everything. So uh, Chris, Rachel, good to have you on here today. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Yeah. So Chris and Rachel host uh, their own podcast. It's called Finding Normal, Life After Spiritual Trauma. And we wanted to have them on here this week because like we've been talking about, January is Spiritual Abuse Awareness Month. And that's something that we like to draw attention to because not a lot of people are even aware that spiritual abuse is a thing. (laughs) And the Nobiles have been working for about two and a half years, uh, I think, with their podcast. Yeah. Yeah, sharing some of their story, and we'll definitely get into that uh, in the episode. But they have a lot of good insights into the world of spiritual abuse uh, through some experience and some ways that they've been able to heal from that. So I'm excited to have them on here and, and get to listen to their story today. So let's just start off and talk about spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma. You know, a growing number of people are familiar with the idea of abuse awareness of it is becoming more common, but most discussions tend to revolve around like physical or sexual abuse. So what exactly is spiritual abuse and trauma? How would you define those terms? Well, spiritual abuse, spiritual trauma are sometimes used interchangeably with religious abuse, religious trauma. And we tend to use the term spiritual abuse more often than religious because um, that's just the first term that we were aware of. And also because I think most of the people in our circles would not identify as religious. They would say they're not religious. Mm -hmm. They have a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) They they would not understand that as much. Like they wouldn't make the connection that that's them because that would be like the Catholics or the Lutherans or something like that. And we've noticed two types of spiritual abuse, but there seems to be two things, I guess, that people identify as spiritual abuse. And the most common one, uh, well, like you mentioned, other types of abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, committed by a religious leader or a person with spiritual influence over somebody, that, that is, I mean, there is an element of spiritual abuse that goes along with that. But then there is purely spiritual abuse as well that is um, when someone uses spiritual teachings or God or God's name to mm. coerce somebody to to control them or to harm them. I often notice that when people say religious abuse, they are mm-hmm. often talking about physical or sexual abuse that happened in a religious context. 
sure. or perpetrated by a religious leader. But I like the term spiritual abuse because we're not going for, did this happen in a church or religion? We're going for the thing that actually gets at your spirituality, at your core, identifying who you are. It was interesting. I didn't know this. My, my therapist helped me identify describing what we had experienced. She said that, that another term that can be applied to it is ritualized abuse or ritual abuse. Okay. Which I didn't know. It's not a term. I mean, I'd seen the term float around, but I didn't know anything about it. But she said, you can also see that commonly identified by people who have grown up in organized crime. Mm-hmm. So that kind of repeated system around you that almost forces you to change who you are. Like it gets down to the core yeah. of, your, of who you are. That's what this, that spiritual abuse because you're changing how people view God. It really undermines a lot more than just not to minimize other kinds of abuse, but that's why the term spiritual abuse is important. But you could also look up ritual abuse, r- religious ritual abuse. It might You might find there's a lot of commonality there. Yeah, two really good things that you brought out there. Um, one is that this does not have to have taken place in a church. And this is something that people who didn't grow up in certain traditions may not deal with as much. Jan and I both grew up in the independent fundamental Baptist tradition. And I know both of you came from that. Did you both grow up in that as well? I did. From what I remember, I was in a church that would have identified as in, as independent Baptist by the time I was eight. So that's what I remember. That was, that's the church traditions I remember. There were others before that, but I don't really remember them. So what happens in a lot of those is you have a spiritual hierarchy and setup that exists outside of even the church building. And so by calling the spiritual abuse, it shows this can happen even inside the home. Right. This can be when you have a husband or a father who is, in many cases, especially if you have an umbrella of authority kind of idea, standing in the place of God, essentially. It, it can be a parent. It can be a mother to her mm-hmm. children. You know, it can be mm-hmm. a mother to an adult child. Sometimes, you know, there anywhere where there is perceived authority in a spiritual field can lead to this spiritual abuse. You have to have that authority dynamic. And if you didn't grow up in it, it can be hard to understand how you give someone that much power. Right. But it just it makes sense when you're in it. You just think, I don't have any other way. <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is what the person says. It goes. O- obey your parents and respect your elders and all of that. It it just really takes over. Yeah, that's a really good point. And ab- abuse, like the difference between abuse and trauma, mm-hmm. sometimes they're used interchangeably, but technically, like abuse is the initial act or acts of harm, and then trauma would be, you know, the effect of yeah. that abuse that. The victim carries with it, which is it's not super familiar for people who come maybe out of a religious system that doesn't believe in mental health or understand all of that. Um, and it's you can still have severe trauma from small, repeated acts of what maybe in an isolated event you wouldn't consider abuse. Maybe it would you'd consider someone having a bad day, but repeated mm-hmm. acts of that um, can leave you with complex trauma. Yes. Uh, I'm really glad you brought up both of those things because the second thing you just brought up is the second point that uh, I wanted to draw attention to that Chris made. But I'll backtrack to the first thing you said there because uh, we do want to be specific about this. And if you're just watching TikTok and Instagram, you're going to hear about, you know, this was a, a traumatic event and this was the trauma that I experienced. 
if we're being specific, the abuse is the original event and the trauma is the response to it. Uh, so that is a technicality that uh, I think is worth mentioning. Um, but then the other thing that you brought out that is really important is repetition. Because when it comes to physical or sexual abuse, you only need one time. If you can show that happened one time, that's all you need to make a case. In cases of spiritual and emotional abuse, the key is the pattern. Mm -hmm. you, you know, people are able to write off, oh, I was just having a bad day, or mis you misunderstood me, or what have you. But when you're able to show there's repetition of this, that is the key to spiritual abuse. So uh, if you don't mind, share a little bit more about your personal journeys that got you to this, because a lot of people have had bad church experiences, but not a lot of people have said, let's make a podcast to help other people who have had bad <laughs> church experiences. Uh, so, so what led you to start Finding Normal and what unique perspective or experience do each of you bring to this discussion? Well, so um, as we alluded to, Rachel grew up in the IFB. I have a lot of background in it. Um, we met in college at Baptist College of Ministry, Falls Baptist Church in, in, outside of Milwaukee. Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. That was where all of our theological training was happening. You know, I went to high school there too. And okay. then we both went to college there. I went to seminary there. So mm -hmm. all of our theological training, all of our ministry training happened there. We were a little bit blindsided because we, we believed all this stuff. We were taught all this stuff. We were, you know, th this was exciting. We, we wanted to pursue all this, follow all the, everything we've been taught. But we started seeing things that could not be reconciled um, with people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders acting in ways that were blatantly unchristian and sinful, according to their own teaching, according to the stuff we all believed, we thought. And yet those are the people lifted up in leadership. And so we had this cognitive dissonance going on there, um, eventually decided, like, this just can't be right. Like, this isn't right. So we ended up leaving there, going down to help at a church in Greenville and thinking, oh, it's so much different. It's so much better. Mm. And, and starting to see the same pattern. It's like, okay, wait a minute. This didn't happen one place. Yeah. This is a repeated, this is a system. That, and then it's like, okay, back up. What if this is even true? And start to back, I started yeah. just to sort through like, okay, what do I, I I've got to step away and not just believe all the stuff I've taught. I've got to sort through what do I believe and why is there a way I can prove it? Rachel, you sometimes elaborate on this better than I do, but we kind of started recognizing abuse and legalism backwards from a lot of people. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's why, like, so our progression, I'm describing very quickly how we, we started recognizing, okay, this is a broader thing. We started questioning things and wanting to dig into them. What we were questioning was not, can I listen to rock music or right. can I, you know, can women wear pants or we weren't, we totally believed everything that we were taught about that stuff. It was the yeah. theology. It's like something's wrong with this theology. And then a lot of times the stories you hear, it's people who are like, well, you know, the first thing that they do is question, well, why all these strict rules? That doesn't make sense. And do I really need those to follow God? And they they kind of work their way out by rejecting the legalism first. Yeah. We went backwards. We were still very diehard legalists. Yeah. And but we went backwards through the theology. And I mean, it was the thing that we saw was that the the leaders were not following their own rules that they had come up mm -hmm. with. And like we were following the rules. We're like, wait a minute. Well, the rules are obviously right. So what's going on here? <laughs> Our first 
conclusion was basically that, you know, their leaders are wrong because they don't believe, almost they don't believe this as sincerely as they taught us to, you know, so, but it, it sort of started to break it apart. But eventually we saw like, wait a minute, it's not just that. And it's not just that system. And then we started to see the legalism later. And and part of it was that we, we did at, so this was at, at Falls Well, it happened a little bit at the church in Greenville as well. We followed all the rules and we did everything we were supposed to do mm-hmm. to the best of our ability. And the people that we trusted the most turned on us and started like verbally attacking us. But like they would never tell us what we did wrong. They just yeah. started being very, I don't know, this sounds so so junior highish. They were so mean to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They like they were acting very immaturely. I mean, it felt like junior high and we're just like we're the mature ones like you're the ones in leadership like what's going on here but you're too scared to actually go to them and say what have I done that's offended you you don't do that in those systems and especially (laughs) you don't go to somebody and say you were wrong like according to what we've you know according to what we all believe you were wrong you can't do do that that. it's a leadership so anyway it was it's a spiritual authority thing again yeah you know, it's like trying to work through. So these people are against us. Well, is God on their side or is God on our side? Mm-hmm. Because God is, wouldn't he automatically be on their side? Because like, side like, leadership. Yep. Yeah. And and so anyway, working that was, but it was all very much theological, not the standards stuff. Yeah. And it was like, it, it was backwards for us. So I felt like that was a little different than what you mostly hear. And then another aspect that's different was, so I appreciate people sharing their stories about the abuse they've encountered, like whether it's domestic or like sexual abuse that people have experienced. Like we listen to a lot of the Preacher Boys episodes, Preacher Boys podcast episodes. And, but yeah, we actually just had him on the week before. So we'll <laughs> be familiar with that. Yeah. And there's a, so many really brave people telling their stories and that's absolutely needed. There's so many people that have experienced that, that you yeah. never know, but it was difficult to some extent to identify with these people because we feel like we we have gone through abuse, but it it's not sexual abuse. It's not physical abuse. So how do we, like, where are the people that have only experienced what we've experienced as well? Just mm-hmm. the, the, the spiritual abuse, obviously, it's going to be tied in with emotional and psychological abuse. Part of the reason we started the podcast was we wanted to kind of let people know like you're not alone yes many people have experienced sexual abuse and Mm -hmm. i'm glad they're sharing their stories but if you haven't experienced that but you feel like something's really wrong and you've really been hurt by church you're not alone and your story is Mm -hmm. still valid even if it doesn't seem as bad or as dramatic or whatever as as someone else's that you might more commonly hear and part of what happened is in trying to sort all this out so we're like, okay, so we haven't experienced what some of these other people have, but like, where is this coming from? And mm. I, I'm a big why person. I always mm-hmm. like to know why, almost to a ridiculous level. Um, <laughs> so I want to dig deeper and deeper and deeper. So we were finding, we were having hours long discussions late into the night, just the two of us trying mm. to hash this out. Like, I read this and what about this? And oh, maybe that's connected. You know, we were just doing this. And so we thought maybe we should just set up a microphone and this might be helpful. 
I feel like we're working so hard trying to sort this out in our own heads. Maybe this would be helpful. So, you know, because I yeah. felt like, okay, I feel like I have a handle on some of this. I figured we would find stuff out like, oh, I didn't know that's where that came from. And so, you know, we wanted, figured, you know, might as well turn on a microphone and maybe it would be helpful. So that's part yeah. of, that was part of the thought. It's like, we're having these, some of these discussions already um, just to hash it out ourselves. That's, that was kind of one of the last impetuses to, to actually like, okay, maybe we should do a podcast because we were, we were talking about it so much. Yeah. And I, I especially like when you would get into some of that background, I think of like one of my favorite episodes that y'all did was the Halloween one. How uh, when you kind of talk through some <laughs> of the background of that and uh, how it went from its beginnings to the way it is today and the way the church view, well, at least some churches view it today, uh, definitely came from a trunk and treat kind of church. You know? So yeah, I, I related to a lot of that. Um, I go off script here and, and track down this rabbit hole for a second, if I can, based on what you were saying, Rachel. Um, and before I get into my question or thought here, I want to put up the disclaimer for anyone listening that whenever there's any kind of abuse, it is not helpful to compare. Abuse is abuse, whether it leaves marks on the skin or the soul. Mm -hmm. And that does not make you any less of a person or less of a victim um, or make what happened to you any less wrong. <laughs> Uh, just because you don't have a physical mark. So so if you're listening to this, please understand I'm not trying to put levels of abuse. That's uh, not helpful. Everyone's situation is unique and there there is no comparison there. But I definitely can imagine it's hard enough in cases of sexual abuse where to get someone to believe you <laughs> or physical abuse, you know, sometimes even with marks on on the body, it can be hard for people to go along with that. Did you two have any experiences of people not believing you experienced this because there was no sign of it? Like, oh, that's just that person's personality or you're taking it too hard or anything like that. Uh, yeah, definitely. The first instance that comes to mind for me is when I first was trying to convey what was going on to my dad mm. who worked at the college, mm. at the church where we were. <laughs> and initially he was very much like, well, yeah, they're difficult. They're, they're difficult. Like that person is difficult. I think part of it is because he had a lot of experience in corporate America where everyone is kind of difficult. <laughs> From what I've heard, the culture in corporate America is pretty nasty. So I think to him, it being like he'd worked places that were worse. Mm -hmm. And so it probably didn't seem like as big a deal to him. I'm surmising that I haven't actually asked him about that, but, but yeah, it took some convincing for me to actually convey to him how serious it was. I had to, I had to try a few times and, you know, so that, yeah, it was, it was definitely like, well, they're, yeah, they're just difficult. You know, you just have to learn to deal with that. We really didn't talk to a lot of people about it. We were there for several we didn't have the name spiritual abuse. Like we didn't know that term until within a few months before we left Falls. Mm -hmm. But um, we knew years. when we went to Greenville and that's why we were out of there in a year. We're like, no, we're not doing this again. Mm -hmm. um, but even there though, it's like, you don't, you don't talk about it. I Greenville, I was put in a situation where I had to tell someone kind of what was going on with the pastor there. And her response was like, oh, it's just like a communication breakdown. And it's just like, 
talk to him. It's like, no, 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 no. We know how this works. We don't do that. But it, even at falls, it's like, you know, that our, our couple attempts at like trying to make it right with the actual people who've done it, like did not, you know, gaslighting and, mm-hmm. and deflecting and, you know, telling us that we were the ones, whatever. And we never really tried to tell anyone else besides your parents because just don't do that. And like your whole circle is basically there and you kind of feel like you're living in Nazi Germany, like the secret police will report you or, you know, whatever, there will be consequences for talking about things. And in the training for ministry culture at the college, there's a lot of that drilled into you of like, we are all we're part of this, we're part of the ministry. We're all, mm-hmm. you know, and there's certain things that you don't talk about, especially to lay people. Yeah. And you don't have friends and you, you know, it's all very protect you kind of that you're kind of trained to do that to like, you don't talk about issues. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, you don't have needs because you're the one who's in ministry. And so they, you know, there's a lot of that that you're kind of trained in those thought patterns and so it makes it very hard for your for your own brain to break out of that to even consider talking to somebody about it oh yeah yeah the church that we came from at one point the staff had been told not to make friends with church members uh because you know we're trying to keep every all keep all the problems just on the staff you know you don't want to sow discord i was was just thinking we went back to falls we when we were like between houses and stuff before we moved permanently down here. Mm-hmm. And we were at Falls living with his parents briefly, but we didn't, we didn't go to Falls. <laughs> we were in nominee Falls, but we didn't go to the church. But I met up with a couple friends uh, and while we were there. And the thing that struck me was like, we, I, I felt confident enough to talk about the spiritual abuse then because I felt like I had the right terminology and I could explain. I was mm-hmm. hoping to get them to see it and not, have their children suffer under that for decades mm-hmm. and one was a friend from college and she totally agreed with me actually both of these women agreed yeah, with me about they, they, both they believed, had experienced some yes it wasn't just it. out of the yeah. blue because i'd seen what this other person had experienced as well like she'd been very badly treated by them and i talked about it with both of them they totally believed agreed everything about the main perpetrators were unfortunately uh, the the head pastor's children who were all adults and all on staff and in powerful influential positions in the church. But they, they totally agreed about, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, they're not doing the right thing and whatever, but they wouldn't believe anything negative about the pastor. Mm-hmm. And it was weird. It was just like, they, they could not wrap their heads around that he's allowing this abuse to happen. He's yeah. raised children that are, all like this and he's letting this happen on his watch and he he doesn't care or he's not a very good discerning leader if he doesn't know it's happening Seriously. and they just wouldn't un, they would not believe anything bad about him it's the man of god don't don't touch the lord's appointed right <laughs> you know when you have that mindset they can do no wrong i i think it's important too that we do draw attention to this terminology of spiritual abuse because i think rachel was the one who mentioned this sometimes these things happen and you don't realize it is abusive you don't have the terminology for it yeah you said it, it was like a only a few months before you left falls mm-hmm. that you even had the language for it and that's something i have a little bit of a 
counseling background. Granted, it is in biblical counseling, which is a whole other discussion. <laughs> um, but I've tried to work out of that into uh, some more reputable therapy. <laughs> mm -hmm. But a lot of times when abuse has happened, the victims don't have the terminology. And so if you ask them, have you experienced abuse? They're going to say, no, of course not. I've never been touched you know, a certain way, but they're not realizing that it can happen without someone ever laying hands on you. And so I've had multiple conversations now in the area of spiritual abuse, where particularly in the previous church that we were in, and I was trying to draw attention to some of it, a couple of people would be like, okay, I, I have no clue what you're talking about. That doesn't happen. We start digging into the terms, defining what we're talking about. And by the end of the conversation, they go, oh, that was spiritual abuse. Yep. That, that's absolutely happened to us there. Hmm. Like you just, you don't have the language yeah. for it. So that's why I like yeah. to do this is to show people, you don't have to have scars. You don't have to have someone ever touch you to have been abused in a certain mm -hmm. way. Um, so I, I think that's important to realize. Well, let's, uh, let's talk here with the name of your podcast. I, I love the finding normal uh, because a lot of times abusive situations feel normal. If that's all you've mm -hmm. known. You just, you're fully bought in and it makes sense while you're there. You don't realize just how abnormal your life is until uh, you've started to move out into the real world. So are there some things that maybe you all have previously thought were normal that now that you're working all that out, have realized actually weren't? And I guess on the flip side, what are some actually normal things that you've started to enjoy since you've begun the recovery journey? Well, I think it's it's really weird in the IFB is that you're taught that not being normal is normal Christianity. So you are supposed to be odd. You are supposed to be different. We're supposed to be a peculiar people. Peculiar people. Yeah. I knew that was coming. <laughs> yeah. And so not being normal is normal. In you're mm. like, you know that, oh yeah, I know that everyone else goes to the movie theater out there in the world, but we don't do that. I know that. Everyone else wears trendy clothes, but we don't do that. Everyone else listens to whatever kind of music, but we don't do that. And it's like, you know, you're not normal, but you're supposed to be like proud of not being normal. Yeah. And particularly, um, but not really proud. Yeah. And particularly, oh, yeah. Cause that's a yeah, in, our college, in our college training, there was a lot of rhetoric about being like the front lines of ministry, almost oh, like yeah. special forces. And it, like, Oh, a yeah, lot of this rhetoric professor saying we were um, marines we were the spiritual marines <laughs> yeah oh, okay. so yeah i was gonna say we won't even get into the problems of militaristic terminology right but anyway yeah. but yeah we were very supposed to be very proud of it like we weren't even supposed to be normal to the rest of evangelicalism uh, like yeah, we were, right. so we were right. even, that's compromising yeah if you were if you were accepted <laughs> by evangelicals you were compromising and i'm like oh you know, looking at it now, it's like, oh, yeah, we were really, you know, pushed into that corner of being very odd, according to most of Christianity, but being mm -hmm. proud of it. Like that felt right to be not normal. So that that's kind of a weird mental space, but it is there. Like that's part of it. The, the things that I've been surprised by kind of coming out of that, that I thought were normal, I've actually been more like in the realm of Christianity as far as like, I didn't know that a lot of Christians don't believe in the rapture. Um, uh, and yeah. right mentioned it as kind of some fringe thing. And I'm right. like, 
what <laughs> everybody believes. right christian every christian we know yeah in it right or yeah. we have not got into rapture and time stuff in the podcast yet but i promise we will eventually and uh, <laughs> what rachel is saying is is true it, i have been amazed the number of times i have heard such and such fringe group believes this i'm like you mean fringe everybody believe oh yeah that's right we were we were a little mini cult okay yeah <laughs> right like i knew people had different views but i didn't know people didn't actually believe in it it was really it was just funny i mean you know yeah. ha having deconstructed but like yes I, I understand that now but it was like that was just so odd to me i thought it that was it, surprising i yeah. thought that most christians believe that um like the six literal days of creation or mm. yeah and yeah. i thought like it, you know, we were kind of taught like, well, just basically heathen evolutionists don't believe yeah. that. But if you're really a Christian, you believe that. And it's like, there's a lot of Christians who don't believe that. And that was, you know, things like that, that were surprising that I thought everyone, like all Christians, like this is like a Christian understanding of the world. And it's like, oh, it's not. Okay. I mean, that's fine. That's cool. Like, we're not sure what we believe about a lot of these things anymore. But mm -hmm. Some yeah. things that we've enjoyed that yeah we've actually we've actually experienced movies in a theater which what? it has been nice to although we were noise noise canceling headphones <laughs> we were noise for... headphones yeah we it has been nice to actually rest on a sunday mm. to just be and you know just relax and not have the pressure of yet another day to go and do this and do that and be there and and yeah that that has been has been very nice we got to dance at a wedding Ooh. so <laughs> that was the first um that, that we enjoyed that we didn't do like a fried Astaire and ginger rogers routine or anything you know we're just like, <laughs> being proud of swaying couples or whatever yeah <laughs> i was thinking more like saturday night fever i can picture you know chris with the little like bell bottom jeans going on there yeah. oh, dear. <laughs> no i am not that i am not very coordinated when it comes to that I, I guess I overthink it or something. My feet do not want to be either. <laughs> that's what happens when you grow up not being allowed to dance. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that's true. It's been nice not feeling obligated to read the Bible every day. Mm. Mm -hmm. To actually, you know, dig into stuff and when we want to, but not that pressure of like, I have to read the Bible every day. Oh, no, my day's ruined because I didn't read my four chapters. Yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, not so much enjoyable as like it's just like a relief to not have that hanging over your head. Once you remove the obligation of that type yeah. of Christianity, you actually feel like you can enjoy your faith. Recently, we were talking about not feeling the pressure anymore of having to pray before you do anything as mm -hmm. a good luck charm. Oh, yeah. That's what it really felt like. That's it's what like it came to be. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, like before a car ride across town, let's pray yeah. for safety. <laughs> yep. Or um, before any, like we purposefully didn't do that when we, I mean, this was like five years ago, but when we recorded our CD, you would normally like in the recording sessions we've been in before and other projects, you know, every set, okay, let's pray, like ask God to bless it. And it's like, you know what? We worked hard. And as far as I know, we're all walking in the spirit. So like, let's just do this. Right. Yeah, I need to rub the rat like god's not a rabbit's foot <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. oh that's good we got matching tattoos so. <laughs> did you yeah, yeah. Ooh, very nice so that was that's definitely outside the box that we would have experienced before <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, i love the little uh 
the wedding bands there. I always joke that if I ever got a tattoo, it would be of the verse that says, don't mark up your bodies. <laughs> Just to have fun with the uh, fundamentals. Oh, your sense of humor, I tell you. It's dark. It is. <laughs> I totally can empathize with everything y'all were sharing there. Like it has been a, a journey for us as well, where we've gone from both being pretty fundamentalist. Uh, it, it's really interesting. We've, well, by the time this gets released, we won't have talked about E on the podcast. But for those of you listening, in the future, we will have <laughs> talked about this in the podcast. Um, Jana grew up in more fundamentalist churches than I did. Yet I was the harsher fundamentalist. Like my church would have been too loose for her churches. Oh, absolutely. But I went in crazy fundamentalist. And mm. so as we've kind of progressed through this, it's it's been um, a strange mix of anxiety over changing things when you, you know, you have the mm. truth. So if you're changing, you're moving from the truth. <laughs> mm. uh, but then also the freedom that you start to experience as mm -hmm. you are, well, finding normal. <laughs> If you two are comfortable with it, I'd like to talk a little bit about the path to finding normal while married and having a family. You know, it's hard enough for a lot of people to figure out what you believe by yourself. But have you two mostly been on the same page throughout the process? Or uh, have you found areas where one of you is further down the path than the other? Like, how have you navigated these questions as a couple and as parents? I don't know what it's like if you're married to someone who hasn't experienced the same thing. I've, I've seen that cause some difficulties in other relationships that I've observed. But for us, we came from exactly the same place and not just different parts of the same place. Like we were both music degree students. We both experienced okay. very similar things. Like it, it wasn't trying to convince him what I had experienced was true or him trying to tell I mean, he had we both worked for some of the same people. Yeah. Okay. So. He, he did have some some revelations about what some people were really like because he went to high school with them and, and different things. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay. But uh, we could talk about it on the same level. And we that's why we would talk so much about it. It's not one of us trying to explain something to the other one necessarily. It's just more like kind of building on each other and like, oh, this and maybe this. And like, it's it's very helpful and been able, I think, to process a lot of things that way and to put it into words. But at the same time, it can be difficult because then you kind of struggle with the same stuff. I mean, especially like we have very similar personalities. So we, we have a lot of the same types of struggles. We're both overwhelmed by the same things. And we might both be struggling on the same day where you're like, now, wait a minute, it's my turn to struggle. So that is that's a downside to it. But I'd say definitely the benefits outweigh the downside of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough when the same things trigger both of us. I would say Rachel could see things more clearly sooner mm -hmm. than I could, partly because I had been at Falls longer. Yeah. I was used to the environment. I was used to the system. And I could get very, very pragmatic where, mm -hmm. yeah, in the back of my head, I knew this wasn't right. I knew it was, mm -hmm. the system was corrupt. I knew how to survive the system. I knew how to game the system. And I just like would go with it. She could see things more clearly sooner. But it wasn't something where I was like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, I knew the mutual understanding of what was going on was a big help. Because yeah. we it wasn't like we were trying to explain something, you know, having your spouse look at you like you just stepped off another planet. Like, what are you talking about? You know, we knew we both. And as we've talked about it, it but I do feel like she saw things clear a little bit sooner. 
one thing I should add is like what I've observed with some people, um, a spouse who's experienced spiritual abuse, like extreme spiritual abuse, and then a spouse who I don't know if they have or not, but definitely not to that degree. Yeah, they don't understand why their partner would not want to go to church. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, of course we go to church. Of course we always should be in church. We should mm-hmm. always be involved yeah. in a church setting. And that person probably would really benefit from sitting that out for a while, not necessarily permanently, but that's something we have not had to navigate, but I have noticed that with some people. Um, so that's just something to be aware of for people who have kind of that one has experienced it, one hasn't. It's like to be really sensitive towards that person yeah. and you might not understand why they need that, but like with any trauma, you know, that someone's experiencing, like there's going to be things there you don't understand if you haven't experienced it, but they're going to have different needs at different times. If I can just touch on what Rachel's saying, the other person, like the person who has experienced this, they know their body better than you do. They know their mind better than you do. They know what they can and can't handle. And as much as it may or may not make sense, you have to trust them on that. It's like, I mean, heck, we've talked about everything else. I might as well bring alcohol into the discussion. If you have someone who was an alcoholic and you have someone who's just used to social drinking, the social drinker might not understand why the alcoholic can't just take a single drink. But you have to be willing to respect that is where they are and that is what they can or can't handle, whether or not it makes sense to you in your situation. I mean, this goes for so much. It goes for health issues. You know, like if somebody says, I'm not feeling up to doing this, well, we don't understand it, but you might not know the health issue that they have, the chronic health issue that they have or something like that. Like it is the same thing 100% where just because it feels right and okay for you, if the other person is saying it, trust them uh, as hard as that may be. So good. Thank you for bringing that up. I will say our marriage has changed over time. I feel like, especially toward the beginning with everything we were taught about marriage, um, with the patriarchy and the complementarianism and stuff, we were trying to play those roles and we were definitely have moved to an egalitarian. I st- I'm still trying, I think. Um, we definitely moved to a more egalitarian system. Well, you were never like bossy and stuff, but I tried so hard to be the good complementarian wife and right. that, that didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah. Uh, I and uh, another friend of ours as well, that is weird. we both had conversation about how being a good little wifey just didn't work out for us at all. Yeah, it's, it's this one size fits all system. And then you realize, well, some people don't fit that size. Yeah. So th- that was something that occurred to me while we were talking is, yeah, our our marriage has definitely changed for the better and yeah. morphed and as you know, but it's been a journey together. Definitely not one-sided. I will say parenting while doing this, while trying to deconstruct and sort out what you believe is way harder. I feel like that sometimes is the hardest thing. I've noticed people who came from falls or similar churches who don't have kids, they've been able to kind of float for a bit and like, well, I'm not sure what I believe. And we'll just kind of drift over here. We'll think about it. We'll sort through it eventually. Whereas we were sitting there like, okay, do I want my, do I want our kids in church or not? Like, do we want to make sure our kids are in church or do we want to not? Like, we don't we, want to be doing the back and forth. Like, well, now we believe in church. Now we don't believe in church. Yeah. Now we believe this. Now we don't believe that. Cause that's more harmful than just like taking your time yeah, about it. But I feel like there's a whole lot, there's a whole lot more pressure to like, we need to figure this out. I don't want them in limbo all the time. Cause then they'll just get the idea like, well, we don't really believe anything. And you know, <laughs> I, I, I want to know what we believe and go with it. 
but also like we can't just take the time we want to like oh yeah we were having hours long discussions i would love to have them in the middle of the afternoon but we had them late at night because right we can't think or talk to each other in the middle of the afternoon sometimes <laughs> everything else that's going on and you know so it definitely adds a whole nother level of difficulty we haven't experienced this so we can't speak to like what if what if you're trying to step out of an abusive system and rethink your faith when you have teenagers who are going to ask you the theological questions because our kids are younger they're very much as they grow up and are aware of the bible and how we interact with the bible and what we learn about christianity they're very much just on the same page of like what you know oh yeah that's how we talk about the bible we've talked about the background of this or that and there's certain uh, characters from church history that when we mention their names, they boo. And, you know, it's not like we have a teenager fighting us on it. So I'm sure if someone could be in a different situation with older kids, that would be a totally different ballgame that we can't speak to. But it did kind of put an urgency on it. Yeah, I, I got to know who gets booed in church history. Martin Luther. <laughs> <laughs> I know he might be up there. <laughs> we homeschool and we were reading through history and you know, the history book, it's it's a generally Christian perspective and it put kind of a positive spin on Martin Luther. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, we are not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but we try to give them nuance um, with historical figures like that. But also in real life, like we try to be honest, um, like they'll ask about why did we leave, you know, our church and mm -hmm. it, with Tri-City, the pastor there, you know, we try to make it clear, like we're like we're friends with them. Like they're not those are not bad people. And but like when we left the church in Greenville, our oldest was like four or something, mm -hmm. four or five. And he asked, like, I had to explain to him, like, we're not going back to that church. And he wanted to know why. I said, well, in his age terms, it's like, well, the pastor was really mean to us mm -hmm. and he wasn't doing the right thing. So I'm going to be honest with them. But then also to teach them, like, not all pastors are like that. Not all pastors are bad, but also yeah. the culture conditions you to just accept well, pastors are just all good people. And so I want to give them that nuance. It's like, mm -hmm. just like any other type of person, there's good pastors and there's bad pastors. And we know some of both. So we try to be honest with them about stuff. Or even if we don't like know the answer to something, you know, we'll say like, I don't know. Or like with creation, um, the story of creation, or, you know, well, we haven't talked about end times. <laughs> but we'll say, you know, like, all I know is like God created the world and we don't know exactly how he did it. He might have used this or he might have done this or, you know, so we try to not be too like this is the truth and we all have to believe this. Like our family believes this. We try to keep yeah. it kind of open and open to their questions. And it has also added the challenge of how do we find resources for the kids to learn some of the Bible yeah. and learn about faith without all of the extra baggage that a lot of the kids stuff comes with it's like no i don't want a book that assigns motives and implications and application to these stories i just want them to tell the story the way it really was in the bible yeah. not just the way everybody tells it too so like it's been hard we've had to spend the time to find like okay what children's bible or bible stories are we going to use um what books are we going to use to teach about the bible have you found any good ones for kids that you think uh, just get to the story better? Well, we've we had some. We follow, uh, her name is Meredith Ann Miller, and she's a pastor, actually. Um, okay. Yeah. And she's a pastor, would just turn off most people from our <laughs> circle. But um, she's worked in youth ministry, like with children's ministries for a really long time. She wrote a book called Woven, which I have to finish reading. Um, but 
more about how to talk with your kids about faith. And she has really helpful tips on Instagram, just like how, and I think she even has a, like a short podcast where it's like maybe just like telling a Bible story and asking some Mm -hmm. questions about it. But it very much is what we were looking for with like steering away from application and you know it's we really appreciate she's got stuff. helpful stuff about what what stuff in the bible to skip yeah sure. okay and at which age groups it's like just skip that right now you know don't tell don't tell young kids these stories some of these stories i i did get to hear her i went to hear her speak she was talking to church in charlotte and yeah. she was talking about her book but some of the stuff around it but she's definitely aware of the harm that incorrectly told bible stories or bad theology can have on kids as they grow up. She was saying that her goal is to give you tools so that you can help your kids have a faith that they don't have to recover from. Yeah, I love that. So she did have a lot of helpful stuff. And what we've been doing for church, we just do church at home just with our kids for now. What we've been doing for that is there's three or four books. Anyway, this one is called The World Jesus Knew, and it's by Mark Olson. And he has... I think like two others um, and they're like picture book almost kind of things, but a lot of information. And so it's, we were looking for something that gives that historical and cultural context for the Bible for, kid. for kids, because yeah. like, there's a lot of that stuff. I, I thought I was going to have to take it and writes like big <laughs> New Testament and like condense it all for my kids. I'm like, this is going to be really hard. And then we came across this book. So I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'll have to teach you Michael Heiser at age six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was, that was a relief and very helpful to find these. And, and yeah, really can, honestly, I think adults could learn a lot from it too. Um, yeah. We didn't get a whole, like we got some of it, you know, in the sermons we heard, but it's, it's helpful to see that and hopefully give them that more of that foundation before they even really get seriously into looking at the Bible. So they already have this knowledge in there. It's not, you're not hearing the stories that you typically hear in Sunday school told through that lens and like, that's your basis. And then you get to Bible college, you're like, oh, and then the background was really this because your foundation will always be what you already, you know, assumed or were, were taught when you were little. So. Yeah, so much children's ministry material is propaganda. It's, oh yeah yeah and so that that's huge for me i love that you guys mentioned those couple resources i'll even link to those in the show notes uh for any listeners we have that might be interested in that yeah jen and i don't have any children at this point but that was a huge concern for me in our journey because i kept thinking and i was smirking and shaking my head at the same time chris when you were telling your part of the story there of oh rachel noticed this first and i was just being more pragmatic because the church we were in, I grew up in. I was there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And when we got married, I brought Jana back into it. And I knew there were issues, but I was a pragmatist. And I said, you know, this is the end goal. I was basically on track to eventually pastor that church, probably by about mm-hmm. 2035, if not sooner. And I had this whole pragmatic thing of, well, I can put up with this until I get to this point and then yada, yada. And I and Jana knew issues that i mean i knew him too but i didn't want to admit him i didn't say him out loud and one of the things that constantly ran in my mind and made me so uncomfortable is if we have a kid i don't want them in sunday school Mm. and that's not just about the church that we were in i just i didn't want them in sunday school (laughs) yeah because i know my personality 
and I know her personality. <laughs> and if you somehow mix that together, you're going to get a kid that is there at five years old telling the teacher, well, that's not really how that happened. No, no, I don't want to be dealing with this. Well, I'm on staff. I, you know, this isn't good. <laughs> and then you're the staff kid, uh, guy whose kid isn't in Sunday school. Like, ah, you know, it's it's funny but by the same token it it was a serious concern for me where i'm like the kids material in most churches sucks <laughs> mm -hmm. because it's about trying to save their soul and you're teaching them all this stuff that is arguably not age appropriate yeah uh, yeah the sure. bible's a great book and there's great stuff in it kids can understand there's also stuff that takes a little more maturity <laughs> to um understand the nuance so yeah, yeah. I, I really appreciate the insights that you shared there you got into this a little bit, so so let me dig into this a bit. You know, spiritual trauma really has a profound impact on personal relationships. And when it happens, you tend to lose trust in people who used to feel safe for you. And if you try to speak up about it, you often lose the relationship as a whole. So how have you two navigated the challenges of maintaining uh, or even rebuilding relationships with family, friends, religious communities after experiencing this spiritual trauma? Well, I'd say with the friends we had at, at Falls, the people we went to college with, I have a few people that I talk to more on a long distance once in a while. Hi, how you doing acquaintance level? But they weren't the ones that were in really deep there. And then I have one I talk to more often who also like the ones that were in really deep there that I was probably the closest to. They really haven't talked to us almost since we left Falls and not because we left Falls, but just because it's so busy there. And I remember feeling this way that if someone's not there, like you don't even think about them because mm -hmm. it's insanely busy and you're focused on ministry and doing all this mm -hmm. stuff. And so you're you don't looking really... for new people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of like Mecca for BCM grads where it's <laughs> like, you know, you kind of expect them to come back there. Uh, we're not obligated to like reach out to them. And so I had an interesting point. Yeah. I hadn't really heard it from my friends there in like a year, like in the year that before we left the church in Greenville. But I knew that leaving that church because we were forced to cut ties with our friends that were there, the assistant pastor and his wife there, um, they ended the friendship, not us. We tried to say like, hey, can we like we want to be friends with you? And they're like, screw you, basically. Um, yeah. And, you know, more spiritual language than that. But uh, but we knew that was kind of cutting off. That was our BCM connection. Like that was the mm -hmm. last. It's like if we're walking away from that, we're walking away from from all of that. And I mm -hmm. I haven't attempted to really reach out to a lot of people. I had one person that would continue to text me, and it was just causing me anxiety attacks. And I'm like, okay. I just finally had to just block their number. And since then, they've had communication with other people and been very unkind to them. So I know I did the right thing, but. It's hard because you you're a different person. Like you're the same person, but but you're different. Like you have a different belief system and you know if they knew your belief system, like they would not accept you. They would never go out of their way to befriend you now if you didn't yeah. know each other. They would view you as you've compromised, you've walked away from God. You can never be anything but a ministry project to them now. It can never be an equal friendship. Um when they're so deep into that system. I only kept in contact with a couple of people, a handful maybe of people I went to went to school with. The guy who was my best friend going through school was one of the pastor's sons. He has not spoken to me since we moved away from Falls. It just vanished, you know. 
So that's what happens. Everyone is so tied in with what's happening. It falls when we left there because we were going to another ministry. So technically doing what we were supposed to do. Right. But, you weren't leaving over differences. You yeah. weren't there. And it's just like we van, you know, yeah. these people we thought were our friends just vanished. For me, like when I went to BCM, I ended up giving up the few friends I had had from before then, for the most part, like at least one closer friend, because they weren't spiritual enough. They're not the right kind yeah. of friend to have. Like they're not all in serving God or whatever. And so as of falls, I lost those friends. Now I've been able to reconnect with some childhood friends since then, which and some family members more since coming out of that. <laughs> but yeah, that really, it's like, you made me lose my friends and then you take all my other friends away from me that I made there. <laughs> There's a few people that I stayed in touch with for a while. I had a, people who would push back a little bit and kind of just have drifted a little farther away once we covered certain topics on the podcast or, yeah. you know, I've had some good conversations with people, but also like, it's like, nah, you're not gonna, I know people are not gonna see, they just kind of drift away a little bit because Sometimes in some sense, it's a good thing. There's people who are trying to move past their own trauma. And so we do a lot talking about spiritual trauma. So we just don't talk much. I just don't talk much anymore with them. I understand that, you know, yeah. we're digging into something. If you don't want to, if you're not ready to dig into it, or that's not where you're at, that's fine. I understand that. And we just, we're not, we don't live near each other. So we don't talk. So we have made some good like connections or reconnections with people because of the podcast. I mean, yeah. like mm. you all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we connected with you all, and and even people from Falls who were just like, oh, this random person from Falls, like we were never close or whatever, and then they'll reach out to us, and we're like, oh, okay, like like I had somebody, I had you know people I knew when I was in junior high and high school. Mm. You know, I'll reconnect with people who like they went to different colleges. We didn't really talk, but like it'll start some interesting discussions. With Tri-City, when we were there, we didn't really spend much time with the people outside of church. Sure. And so it didn't make that much of a difference when we stopped going, because it's not like we had a relationship without, like outside of church with most of the people there. And it honestly felt very, towards the end, it just felt very lonely actually going to church, because I never got to talk to adults except a very, like, passing pleasantries. Like, I never had relationships with people there. By the time I got done playing the piano, everybody would be leaving for lunch on a Sunday morning. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, if you're the piano player, you're you're working an extra, what, 15, 20 minutes at least. It was frustrating. So it was kind of like, well, I, I didn't feel like I, you know, lost friendships really there. And we didn't leave on bad terms. We made that yeah. really clear. So mm -hmm. I mean, there with my church that I grew up in, I think I'm now officially like a ministry project for people to pray for. I don't know. <laughs> You're on the prayer list. <laughs> yeah, they, we got a Christmas. Like I sent individual Christmas cards to people I considered like old family friends. And we got back a card from the church with the pastor. Like people had signed it, but like, we're praying for you. It's like, <laughs> about what? Like, right. We grew up in these systems. I know what this card means. Don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're on the Wednesday night list that never gets changed. Yeah. <laughs> with family, it's been interesting. So I mentioned how it, my dad didn't understand it to begin with, but my parents are now big fans of the podcast oh, nice. and they live really, they live not far from us. So it's actually improved our relationship. We've talked through some things because we're sorting through that. So I have a, a better relationship with my sister since we've started sorting through all this than when we were at falls and stuff. So that's actually improved. Some of it is happens because like, 
we discuss what we talked about on the podcast when my dad has listened to it and stuff, but yeah. you know, they're big fans of it. So that's, I, I love hearing that plus side because so often it's lonely and isolating. It doesn't, or it doesn't always happen in a community, yeah. but and we've had the same thing about a month or so ago, a kid that I grew up with in high school, I hadn't said more than hello to him in the last eight years text me and like he had he had moved out of state so i barely ever saw him he found our podcast on the i think it was tiktok or instagram and he texted me said he was listening to it was liking it like <laughs> and great. of all the people who listened to it, like really you you like this I, I was expecting to you know uh can i pray for you can we uh, have lunch over how much of a heretic you are it, it's good yeah to let people know that you find community outside of the community you knew and sometimes it takes a while. It's not the same. It morphs, it changes, but you're not as alone in it as you feel like. With my... On the flip side. Yeah. With my family, um, there are other issues at play there, but church is like everything to my parents and their mm -hmm. image at church. I have not told them about our podcast because, I don't know, it probably wouldn't go over well. But anyway, so processing all the spiritual abuse stuff has opened the door for me to recognize and be able to work on processing other types of things going on with similar emotional, psychological, and recognizing narcissistic tactics like gaslighting and things like that within my family. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, unfortunately, I mean, it has caused us to go like kind of low contact. There are certain members of my family that I cannot, I refuse to have a phone conversation with them without having Chris in the room. But that's not directly related to the spiritual stuff. It's just I've had family members who could have helped shed some light on a spiritually abusive situation that was from from the past, from the church I grew up in. There there was a spiritually abusive pastor there briefly, and they kicked him out because they're like, no, we're not doing that. But they had documentation of that, of some oh. things from a meeting, and they refused to share it with me just because they didn't want to stir all this up. And it's like, the, the children that are now my age who've been living with this trauma for decades, like it's already stirred up. Like this stuff is, and just that refusal to like help provide just something at no cost to them that could help bring closure to people. I'm like, yeah, I, I can't, okay, we're not discussing church or religion anymore with you then. <laughs> I can't, I can't yeah. do that. Like I'm not going to get into conversations like that with them. So that's kind of where it's led with that. But, um, but I have developed closer relationships with other extended members of my family since getting out of that very, like, we're the only good people type. Yeah. And they're all just unsaved ministry projects. Oh, yeah. Um, I used to pass out tracks at Thanksgiving dinner to my family members. <laughs> Who's that kid? Yeah, it's, it's nice when you don't have that pressure and you can actually just be like, oh, we're family. We, we don't have to try to convert each other. <laughs> I think a really difficult thing for us has been trying to find new community and new friends, especially like, I mean, a lot of the connections we've mentioned that have resurfaced has been, you know, as a result of the podcast or whatever, I'm grateful for those connections, but in some ways it also is over like the shared trauma of being in an abusive system, sure. <laughs> which like, <laughs> but it's like, it, it's how to, how to make friends when you don't have that or without like immediately like, Hi, good to meet you. I used to be in a cult. <laughs> it's a great conversation starter. 
but we have slowly i'd say like just within the past year we've slowly been able to start forming acquaintances friendships more just by getting more involved in like community things like homeschool group we participated in a play with the county arts council it does a does a play that involves people of all ages like they'll find they'll, they'll make they'll make a part for you if you want to be involved. So they have these big productions that are kids all the way up to adults. Uh, all cool. Yeah, we've met some people through that. But yeah, it, it has been really hard. Now, granted, we left Tri-City. It was in 2020. It was like early 2020. Yeah, like January of okay. 2020. And so then there was a pandemic. And so we didn't get to know anybody for it. So there's this whole delay of we just got used to not having any community. Yeah. Kind of, but then we realized, like, we really need community at some and point. Children are basically like feral from having no contact with the outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. No socialization. Sometimes, especially the youngest, the youngest one, going to the store was like a huge thing. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. He just has not been taken to the store. Like it just yeah. hasn't happened. Yeah. So, um, it, yeah, but finding community has been tricky. I and mean, there were, there's times when I'm like, yeah. I don't have any friends, but um, we we do have friends. It's just right. for a while it felt like who are who who do I even talk to? You know, just yeah. for fun. What do who do I do stuff with for fun? It's a challenge, and it's made a little more challenging because in our area, so many people are religious mm-hmm. and go to church, and so they just don't understand. Like, I get to know somebody, and then it's like, you know, where do you go to church? And we say, well, we don't do you know, we don't do church, and we've had some really terrible experiences in church and we're not doing that again. And they're like, well, our church is really great. And I'm like, don't, yep. don't do <laughs> um, you just don't understand. Like, oh, you're from a Southern Baptist church. Well, let me tell you about the Southern Baptist. <laughs> it's a challenge, but it is, you know, we're making slow progress on you know, building community, but it, it is taking, it is taking time and work to you know find that. Yeah, absolutely. And looking back then on some of that, I'm curious, is there anything you think you would do differently in your journey out of fundamentalism? Like from the point you realize there's a problem until now? Uh, yeah, I'm unfortunately, my my mind has replayed scenarios a thousand times of things I would have said when I would have said them ways. I mean, in all reality, yeah, we would have left a lot sooner. And uh, I think we've we've talked about, you know, we would have eloped. <laughs> <laughs> like we're done because that out was of this. the really bad year when everything kind of first year fell apart yeah. was right when we were in, it was like right after we got engaged it's like yep. i don't know they decided they hated us for whatever reason and then yeah the what like don't have very good memories of our wedding unfortunately oh. it's like hey we got married that's the good part i don't know right um just all this tension you know but um, yeah we would have just eloped and left I remember like sitting in the church parking lot at Falls at some point, I don't know, within the five years that we were there. I guess we were there like five years after I graduated is how long we were there. Anyway, I remember sitting in the church parking lot and thinking like, we just, we wanted to leave. We we needed mm. to just get out of there. But just that fear of like, well, he trained to be a pastor and they hold all of his opportunities. Like he will have no career. If we leave, if we walk away from here, like Wayne Van Gelderen holds our future in his hands. And we just gave them way too much power in our lives, I guess. Like when you're in that system, and if you are going to be in that system, then yes, they have that much power. But it's not till you step outside and you realize it's actually a really tiny system. 
and they don't have that much power. They don't even have that much influence within fundamentalism. It's just in your little tiny circles. But that fear was there, though. And, you know, you can't overcome that. Like, you can't think broader than that when that's your world. I saw a quote the other day that was really good. It was basically, don't beat yourself up for doing what you needed to do to survive or to protect yourself. In sharing our story, I hope that some people can hear it and get out sooner. Because that was also several years of enforcing spanking on our Mm -hmm. oldest child, which the way we were taught to do it is you spank them for every single little tiny thing they do wrong and like multiple Mm -hmm. spots, very actually abusive. And we didn't carry it to the extreme that a lot of people did, but we wouldn't have had that, you know, and who knows how much residual trauma is still there in is his body, you know, even if you can't remember that happening to him. You feel like that's part of your life. You also can't get back. Like you were kind of, you're just stuck there in limbo. And it's like, oh, those years, like you feel like they were wasted to some extent. Rachel, you you are giving us like future podcast material here with every time you talk. Like now I'm writing down, oh yeah, we have to do a spanking episode sometime. <laughs> but I think didn't you guys I think you both yeah, did an episode we did. on that. Oh yeah. The, those were good as well. Which I actually recommended to someone one time and they were not appreciative of that. We will get to that at a future point in the podcast. So if you're curious about that, just uh, put a pin in that. We will we will get to that. But oh man, that's that's kind of sounding a lot like our story at some points. Oh, like I, I think you both had it a lot worse with the church that you were in. Well, there I go. I said don't compare. You know? <laughs> but, you know, when you're in this kind of situation, you end up comparing and you're saying, well, I didn't have it as bad. And it's like, and this is probably horrible, but it's like comparing dictators and saying, well, that person wasn't mm-hmm. as bad. They didn't kill as many people as Hitler did. It's like, well, yeah, but that doesn't make them good. You know? Right, like, right. Perhaps on being less evil than Hitler. So, yeah, I, I think that's um, a lot of similarities there where it's like I hear so many times in, in other people's stories. The most common thing is I wish I'd left sooner. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate your saying that and being able to give voice to that for people. Like if you are feeling that there's a reason you are listen to yourself. So for those who are listening, who have experienced spiritual trauma, what advice would you have for them? This is perfect. It goes right along with what we were just saying. What advice do you have for them finding support and starting the healing process? Are there any resources or practices that maybe have been particularly helpful to the both of you? The first thing to do is to get out if you can, to remove yourself. You cannot heal when you're being wounded repeatedly. So you can say, well, you know, now that I understand it, like, I'm just going to stay here. That may work for a while, but you're not going to heal doing mm-hmm. that. Your body will start rejecting that. Mm-hmm. Even if yeah. your mind can handle it, your body will not put up with that forever. Yeah. I would say, listen to your body. Because one of the things that we got taught basically is you get a lot of the, I don't remember if it's a stoic or a Gnostic idea or some of both, but basically your body is bad. Yep. Like you can never trust your body, but your body will tell you sometimes when you don't know why something isn't safe. I mean, I remember I had to go to a cardiologist. I went to an electrophysiologist at some point, all to discover that I didn't have anything wrong with my heart. I would get these irregular heartbeats. Yeah. And it felt really scary, especially the first time. And it's basically, it was stress and lack of sleep and yep, maybe low-grade panic attacks. That It's like my body was doing it, even though my mind is like, what's going on? Like, there's nothing wrong. Oh, yeah. I just want to draw everybody's attention to what he just said, because I don't have any data to back this up. I need to find somebody who's done a study. 
but I have a theory that there is a disproportionate amount of panic attacks in religious communities compared to people who aren't Christian. Like, I shouldn't just say religion, like Christian communities. It's amazing the number of times people end up walking out of a service, going down to a classroom or something, getting away, trying mm -hmm. to breathe. If, if that's happening more than once, there might be a pattern to look for. Yeah. Why is this happening yeah. to me in a sacred, safe space? Well, maybe it's mm -hmm. not a sacred, safe space. Yeah. yeah. Well, then you have them telling you that anxiety is a sin. Well, and yeah, there's that. There, <laughs> when you're sitting there with anxiety medication in your purse and, mm. you know, the ladies Sunday school lesson talks about anxiety being wrong and we just need to trust God. And then like yeah. a leading man from the church bashes all these people taking anxiety medication. I was about mm. ready to tuck my pill bottle at the back of his head. Seriously. When I have anxiety attacks, um, now I'm better at telling what triggers them. But when I first started having them, it was a purely physical response. I wasn't worried about anything. I wasn't thinking about anything. Like one time we were sitting there watching a movie and I was half asleep. And like we we called the paramedics a couple times and I had an mm -hmm. epidemiologist too. And it was like, what is happening? And then you finally learn to connect like my mind and my body. Oh, that's what's happening. Okay. Now I understand. Yes. But when you're just told that it's sinful, I mean, that really, then that makes you more anxious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Vicious cycle for sure. Find a trauma informed therapist, mm -hmm. not a biblical counselor. I'm definitely bad. I'll say I'm into that. Yeah. Find a trauma informed therapist. If you can, Find someone who is certified or trained in EMDR therapy. Not a pastor. Not a pastor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there may be, I just, I don't think, you know, being a therapist takes, there's a lot of training and education that goes into that and those certifications, but find a certified therapist, find someone who's trauma informed, who understands. And those terms I mentioned earlier can come in handy. Someone who's EMDR, if, if you can, I have just started that kind of therapy. And okay. yeah. it makes a difference. Oh, I'm yeah. just right. only dipped a toe in there, but it's it does make a difference with processing trauma. But if you find someone who understands ritualized religious abuse mm -hmm. or ritual church abuse, those are terms that may help you find, okay, do you have the right, do you have a good therapist or not? But honestly, even different therapists who are well-trained, one may work for you, one may not. And it may not yeah. because they're, you just don't jive for some reason. So if you try a therapist, that's like, well, I tried a therapist and it didn't work and it didn't help. Try another one. Try a different one. Find another one who's certified. Find another one in this who knows the terms, who understands. If they don't understand spiritual abuse per se, they understand ritual abuse or they are certified in EMDR, then they know how the trauma gets held in your body and stuff. Try another one because sometimes you just need to find the one that, that understands you and you understand them and it works. Um, right. I just had a little like light bulb moment of if you're coming from the kind of circles that we did, you're not allowed that kind of trial and error. If you don't get it right the first time, hmm. you screwed up. That's your fault. That's true. That's true. It, if in your dating relationship, like you're supposed to end up with the person the first time, you're supposed to find the church that you're going to be at for the rest of your life. You know, like hmm. there are That's so true. many different areas. Like I know people who have tried therapy or done different things trying to better themselves and the first time or two it doesn't work and they give up and I'm like you have to keep trying this it's <laughs> it's uh it's a buffet you know in a way like you're trying to find the one that works for you 
But yeah, if you're coming from this fundamentalist mindset, you probably are going to have to get over the hurdle of, I have to get it right the first time. Like, no, no, you don't. It's okay. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I was thinking too, like, there's not going to be the same healing pattern for everybody. Like some things that some people will find healing, some people need to just get to a safer church or something. And some people need to step away from church. Some people step away from God altogether for a while. Um, It's not, it's not the same for everyone. I don't have a blueprint, which I did because I would need, you know, I want to know what I'm supposed to be doing Um, (laughs) to heal completely, but just be kind to yourself because like what you were just saying, you know, did I do something wrong that I didn't find the right therapist? Mm-hmm. Did, I, did I do something like I'm having, you know, my anxiety attacks were better and I'm having them again. Like, what am I doing wrong? How am I, you know, yeah. and I just want to get through this. And it's like healing is not linear. It's not just a straight like, OK, path to being better and you gradually just get better and better and better. It's different for everyone. And we need to be kind to ourselves because we've been through a lot and it was it was hard and we were betrayed by people we trusted. And we had our our whole theological foundation like knocked out from under us, everything we believed. And it's okay to take time. And it's not our fault that that happened and our responses are natural. So we can take time with that. And then making space for questions. If we really believe God is God, then he doesn't feel threatened by our doubts. He's big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle our questions. And he's not that disapproving, judgmental, like, you went to Bible college. Like, how dare you question me about this? Like, what do you mean you don't believe this anymore? Sometimes I think God is just like, oh, come on. Face palm. These things don't even matter. Like, yeah, just I, that's not why I made you to worry about these stupid little theological questions. <laughs> Amen. Um, we're not disappointing God by having questions or by having mm-hmm. doubts. And especially if you have children, they need to see that too. And they need to be, mm-hmm. they need to see that we're fine with not knowing everything or not deciding on a certain position yet or having doubts and having a hard time with things because we won't always have all the answers especially when hard things happen and it's good for them to see that instead of this like absolutism and having the truth and you know that unwavering faith i wish i had like a plan like here's your healing plan you know it'll take two months to complete it's like (laughs) But there are so many books out there. I feel like there's way more books than when we first heard about it. Like Mm -hmm. we were handed a couple books and that's where we heard about the term spiritual abuse by your parents' chiropractor. Yeah, that was very random. Yes. He gave them, but he must have known what it was kind of like. Maybe he thought. I wonder. I do wonder. Yeah. But that's where we first heard it. But then like when you looked on Amazon back then, back what, six, seven years ago, I guess. Yeah. And it's, it was so different. There were hardly any books and, and definitely not any that we could find at least from our independent fundamental Baptist circles. And so coming out of that, you feel like, well, to some extent, cause you've been trained it's like, well, they were Catholic. So of course that happened there. Right. God, so of course that happened there. Um, but there are so many now. There are so many books yeah. about spiritual abuse, church yeah. abuse, church hurt, whatever people's stories they're sharing. I mean, and there's podcasts and documentaries now. And mm-hmm. so it's it's good. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, the things that we've personally been really helped by 
Rebecca Davis's books mm. and, and blog, um, yeah, the articles yeah. she writes. Now, if you're someone who's like, I don't really care about the spiritual stuff anymore, then that's what she's talking about, though. It's like yeah, she's she, more of scripture. She digs into the Bible teaching and how it's mistaught. And so if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do care what the Bible actually says. Yeah, yeah. I'll link to her stuff in the show notes for this episode. She has, I think, what, four or five books on that now? The Untwisting Scripture series. Yeah, there's some good stuff there. Those were very helpful for sorting some of that out. But also what's been helpful is just like memes on Instagram about trauma <laughs> that just, ah, yeah. help you know, like you're not alone. This is normal. Other people are feeling this. Other people are experiencing this for whatever reason, you know, whatever thing that they've suffered. And this, this is a really random thing, but find a hobby that you find relaxing. Nothing too high pressure or anything. For me, like I, I'm not going to, I don't want to pursue it. I mean, around here, I'm sure I could find people who want to go like hunting or something. And I'm like, no, no, don't give me anything dangerous, please. But find something you find relaxing, whether it's a video game or coloring books for adults. Mm, yeah. Something that doesn't have the pressure. I've discovered that I really find building Legos relaxing. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's not relaxing trying to find a place to store them. No, that's the problem. Like, We're seeing the price tag to build them, but then they're the thing and you have to put them somewhere. So, yeah, that's that's becoming a problem. But it's something that, you know, for whatever reason, I just find that calming. You know, if you find something like that, I I don't know, it, it's going to be different for everybody. It, but oh, something, good. some little practice like that that's just a hobby that's no pressure, you know, you just can do it and kind of something calming can help you find a space there. One thing I think that's really helped me is we got a dog two years ago, almost two years ago. Yeah. We got a dog from a local shelter and he has anxiety too. <laughs> when you get the dog for anxiety and it's the dog with anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> but, he fits but, right in. but I feel yeah. like overall I have been less anxious since having him. Like it's just comforting. So like getting a pet, maybe not a high maintenance or low life expectancy pet, like pigs have been but that has been very helpful it's just like this creature that loves you unconditioned just there i don't I know how to describe it i think cats would be calming and like helpful too we can't have cats i'm allergic to them so allergic. can't have cats but i gotta choose but um him or the cats <laughs> <laughs> no we don't have cats so we probably won't get any probably yeah, I noticed that with both of those too, whether it's Legos or even with having a, a pet there, it's very tactile. You're able to use your hands. So, you know, That's someone true. coming from a situation of a lot of times any kind of abuse, but even spiritual abuse, you're disassociated from your body because like Chris brought up, and it That's is true. real stoic agnostic, there's a divide between the good spirit and the bad body. And this kind of helps to bring you back into a whole self when you can... Um, heal through using your hands and your mind at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, that's good. Good point. And Chris, I know we brought up in a, a previous uh, texting conversation, uh, music. There's specifically breakup songs. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. So, yeah, bring, bring that up. I, I, I like that. It is, it is a little odd to be, you know, a happily married couple really leaning into <laughs> songs, but yeah, it, it's so applicable to leaving these religious systems. Mm -hmm. It feels yeah. so much the same. And laughter. Because yes. everything, well, I feel like at least when we were in the IFB, it's like everything was supposed to be really serious. And everything, you know, there'd be occasions for funny stuff or whatever. But it was mostly like very serious, serving the Lord, all this stuff. And 
And then when you leave that and then you also go through these traumatic events, you just need something to laugh at. Like it's just mm-hmm. laughter really is good, good medicine. It's just just helps that we have <laughs> we find ourselves laughing at our kids a lot of times because especially <laughs> our, our youngest one is pretty funny sometimes. <laughs> um, so that gives us good laughter, but just, you know, funny YouTube sketches or whatever, just stupid stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I'm on Instagram to watch the cute pet videos, like, and laugh at the silly pet videos. So, <laughs> Jen is not anyway. <laughs> I remember uh, there was there was a moment we decided to, I don't know, we watched some comedy sketches on YouTube or something, and we're laughing at those, and we realized that it had been a long time since we laughed. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, yeah, that's it. But yeah, I, I'm glad you rem- remembered to say that. But laughter can be helpful. Jana, do you have anything? Like, I know this has kind of been similar a little bit, like with some of the music and like the breakup songs and stuff. Like, is there anything you've noticed in your experience that has helped you process through some of it? So when we got married, I was like on this bender to find the book or podcast or whatever just to put into words what I was searching for and like that the hardest part was I had no clue what I was searching for mm. and so part of my process was just like listening to tons and tons of books and podcasts and I think just through listening to all of them I finally was able to put words to what I was feeling and be able to better express myself and identify, oh, okay, this is what I'm looking for. And, you know, um, now I understand why this type of preaching makes me feel a certain way. And um, like you were saying with the the breakup songs, definitely, <laughs> um, definitely like listening to them and working through the, I guess, trauma, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think also another great thing is to just dance, <laughs> move your body, especially since in IFB culture, dancing is just so taboo and like, no, we don't do it at all kind of thing. There's really something healing about being able to to dance and just move and feel the music and it can be very healing. Nothing like seeing an IFB girl Blair Kelly Clarkson and try to dance to it. <laughs> or her husband do it along with her. Four-year-old has better dance moves than I do. I will say, like, that's something I've enjoyed is without having that taboo on certain types of music or dancing, the only type of workout that I've enjoyed, or I found dance workouts on YouTube. If you want more dancing, you can look up up to the Beat Fit. <laughs> I really like her stuff. Have you seen her stuff at all? I haven't. Okay. I'm into, uh, I was into dance workouts for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I really like, I mean, that's, I tried anxiety medication and that really didn't help me much. But if I don't do my work, dance workout in the morning, then my anxiety is way worse. Like I can feel it rising throughout the day. But if I get that in, then I feel so much better. Let me ask you both, when you're discussing all this spiritual trauma, how do you balance the need to critique the harmful practices while also maintaining empathy for those who are still in that community? especially since it wasn't that long ago that you were still in the community yourself. Like, where do you find that balance? That is a really good question. I I appreciate you asking that. I feel divided about who our audience is sometimes. Like, who are we doing our podcast for? I think, especially at the beginning, starting off, we were definitely geared toward people in those situations. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. explaining what is spiritual abuse? 
kind of explaining the stuff we were taught, why that isn't actually true and how it's harmful and kind of working that out. These days, it's hard to, like, what tack do I take? Do I explain it more thoroughly or do I assume it's like, okay, if you're listening to us now, it's probably because you've listened to some of our other episodes, so I don't have to explain everything. You know where we're at. Like, you're here with us. So we kind of go back and forth. What The one thing we do want to make sure is we have to say something if we know someone is knowingly hurting people. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't make excuses for people who are harming other people and know what they're doing. I sometimes you can unintentionally harm people, especially if you're in a system, you're part of a, a religious system, a church that's harmful. You know, I know I unintentionally harmed people and part of the system, and I wasn't trying to. But there's people you know you you can when you can tell it's like okay they know and mm-hmm. they're still harming people. That's when we're gonna call stuff out. Like I'm not pulling any punches on that. At the same time, we could try to reach people in IFB churches, but you can't make them see it. <laughs> like, I don't think anybody could have made us see it. No, it's like if, if future you went back in time and showed 10 years ago you this <laughs> podcast, you'd be saying, get that away from me. <laughs> That's heresy. Right. Yeah. And it's like, it's unfortunate, but you almost, people have to have something bad happen to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. to have it all click. So one of the reasons we put the podcast out there is like, okay, we've thought through some of these topics. We've said it, it's out there. So if something happens to somebody in five years and they decide, okay, this isn't right, I'm getting out. Hopefully they can find those things and it can help them see like, okay, I can start to think through, like I can start to reevaluate, but it's just there, you know, and I'm hopeful, hopefully that's helpful to people coming out, but it, you can't force people out. You can't rip people out of the system. But there is really a paradox in your thoughts. Like when you think about a certain person or whatever, you know, the, even the people that have power, it's like, well, they grew up in that family, you know, like they, and I, and I truly enjoyed their company and like, they're not a bad person, but like, then you look at what they're doing and it's like, but they're misusing their power. So it's, it's difficult or even just like the normal church people, you know, that you think of and it's, you had good interactions with them and they're not going out of their way to hurt anybody, but yet their children have been very harmed by even the choice to place them in that environment. It's hard to reconcile it in your mind because you think of people who like, I I always thought of that as like, that's a, these are good men, like certain Mm -hmm. deacons. And it's like, but they know some of the stuff that's going on and they choose to stay there. But yet I, yeah. I can have empathy because I, I know why. Because they think that that's the only church that has the right music, the right dress. That, you know, they'll excuse the bad behavior of the leaders because they're actually, they're serving God. Like, it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I, I can, I know what they're thinking. I mean, I think I know what they're thinking. <laughs> that is so one I of the can, things. It's because we were there, like. We know how the system works. But yeah, it's a tricky balance. We try to be as gentle as possible where we can not take like an expose approach necessarily. We're just going to turn over every rock and proclaim every secret we find. But at the same time, you want to protect people from being hurt. So at some point, you know, we'll mention things. Certain situations seem applicable to a topic. We'll mention those. But if we feel like those people were kind of stuck in the middle, we will leave out those names. We try not to draw undue attention to specific people unless it's to say these people are harmful, they're abusive, they're leading in hurting people. Like that, then we just, 
yeah, we'll we'll put that out there if someone's if someone's very clearly knowingly actively hurting people. And it's important to remember, like when you think of people who are in a cult, like the the just the response is like, well, what idiot would get themselves sucked into a cult? Right. But that's such the myth that only you know only dumb people or needy people or whatever are the ones who join a cult. It's like you know they're not they're not dumb. They're not unspiritual or whatever because they're in a cult. A lot of them are there because they want to do the right thing. Their just genuine desire to do the right thing and follow God is why they're in that cult. And because they are honestly better people than the leaders, Mm -hmm. they will forgive over and over again, the transgressions of the people leading them because they are more genuine in their love for God. It's so tricky to think about. I, I wish I could just go in and like, you know, you could go in and like rescue everybody. Say like, this isn't right. You don't have to believe this about God. You don't have to, you know, stay in this confining system and abusive system, but we can't do that. I really feel for their children is is yeah. the hard is the hard thing because they will be hurt worse than I feel like there's always that danger of like, I don't know of any sexual abuse incident at like, Falls or even the church we're at in Greenville, but they are the logical result of the spiritual abuse. And, you know, that is a very real possibility as well. When we're talking, a lot of times I think we probably sound like pastors bad, like mm. <laughs> all the, you know, but it's not that simple. And we know it's not that simple. It's just, it is easy though to feel like that when your experience has been that a lot of pastors they do want to misuse their power. They have power over people and they want to misuse that. And that society generally just presents pastors as being, oh, they're a pastor. So they're automatically a good person or a more spiritual person. Or trustworthy. Um, Yeah. Or, you know, a trustworthy person. But we know good pastors. We know they're not all bad. But it's just so funny how it gets applied to that and nowhere else. Like I know plenty of people who have had you know, one particular dish at a restaurant and they got food poisoning or got sick and they never eat that specific food again. Hmm. Or, you know, how many times does that happen at the same restaurant until you stop going to the restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. But, and that makes total sense. Like if you said, I've gone to X restaurant five times, I've gotten sick every time. Well, you stop going to the restaurant. Yeah. Right. Any of the chains that are owned by that same person, you know, like why doesn't that logic carry over? And, and, you know, that's not to say every restaurant out there is bad, but it's at least understandable that there would be some skepticism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's kind of like what I'm advocating for is not that people would jump on some bandwagon and say every restaurant's bad, every pastor's bad, but just that they would give room for the people who have had the bad experiences. Mm -hmm. Like if yours was good, great. I'm not trying to take that away from you, but make room for the people who didn't have the same five-star review that you did. And even the history of the IFB, it, it's it's increasingly more difficult to trust people who want to become IFB pastors. When yeah. you look at the history of the IFB and the type of men that led the movement, mm-hmm. it's the same pattern. Like these, for the most part, were not good men. They were murderers and rapists and yeah. and all sorts of really bad things. And it was rotten from the get go. Yeah, that's that's the pattern of. Yeah, people. they're not exaggerating. You can look into it. <laughs> it's rough. <laughs> 
So uh, yeah, it's so, but we do try to be, we may come across as being like, it sounds like pastors are all bad. Then I try to remember, like we have friends who are pastors who are trying to do the right thing. There's a couple of them out there. <laughs> <laughs> not 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 a lot but like we were saying um you know someone said well that wasn't my experience i think it's also important for people to examine like maybe even your pastor could have harmed someone else even if they didn't harm you it's not just that there are certain pastors who hurt everybody or pastors who don't hurt anybody you can have a good experience with a pastor and that same pastor could have mistreated someone else very badly mm -hmm. yeah yeah, no, that's huge. You know, if you think of physical or sexual abuse, you can have a family member that abuses one other family member and you don't automatically expect, oh, everybody else's experience with them was bad. Like there's a reason they were able to get away with that. And that's because everyone else probably had a decent experience with them. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with spiritual abuse, just like most sexual abuse happens not by a stranger, but by family. Spiritual abuse happens by the people that we've let in and trusted. Uh, and there's a reason that you did because it seemed good. So, you know, don't beat yourself up for that if that's been your experience, even if it's not somebody else's. Be aware of grooming, but also I feel like some of what we're dealing with is addressing the theological grooming. Yeah. Even if you weren't harmed, there's those teachings that prime you to accept abusive leadership. Yeah, or, sure. you know, abuse in other ways, you you know, because you're the belief system is there. And that's what we're trying to address is that toxic belief system, those theological ideas. So let's talk for a second then to some of our listeners who, first I'll say, if you've made it this far, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I can imagine that some of you listening right now can relate to everything that Chris and Rachel and Jen and I have talked about. And then I'd also imagine there are some who have never personally labeled any part of your church experience as abusive. You might think that we're making too big of a deal out of this. Uh, you might even feel personally attacked by what we're talking about. So I, I want to make very clear, like we have been talking about here, different people can have different experiences, even within the same church, even with the same people. And we are definitely not trying to tear down your faith or you personally. But I'll put this out here for you, Chris and Rachel, like for the person who's listening to this and they haven't had that abusive experience, they've never labeled it that way. And maybe they, you know, they care about people, they love people, but they struggle to make room for that within their own framework. What would you say to someone like that? How might they be able to love a person who is saying stuff that's scary? I see one particular meme that floats around that particularly bothers me. It talks about if you were hurt, oh, no, I'm not going to remember it right. Do you remember? If you were hurt by the church, it was people that hurt you, not God. Not God. Yeah. I've seen that certainly. And yeah, that, something and to that effect. If coming, you know, from the side of someone who might think that way, I guess, like mm -hmm. um, they would view it that way. What makes you feel like you have to protect, you don't have to protect God's reputation because if it was people, that did that then that person was genuinely hurt by those people yeah then they need to be called out and you need to believe that person and if those people are casting a bad light on who god is and making god look bad and making the church look bad then maybe they shouldn't be in leadership mm -hmm. it's you know something to think about it's instead of trying to hush people up or plug your ears so i I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear bad stuff about my church. I mean, 
the church seems so insistent on calling out sin that it sees in the world or certain sins in certain members' lives. It kind of depends on who you are. <laughs> but, you know, they would be really big on calling out, you know, I saw so-and-so, you know, striking a home drunk from the bar right. last Saturday night. But if the youth pastor is molesting one of the teenagers, mm-hmm. that needs to be stopped because that is not something that should be ever done in God's name mm-hmm. or in a place dedicated to the worship of God. And so why don't you want to know? Why don't why don't you want to hear this? Why can't you have the same zeal to root out sin within the church that you have in opposing the sin outside of it? I mean, most of these people would be, you know, anti-abortion and anti-whatever is going on in the political arena, but they don't want to see or hear about it in their own spiritual community which is the place that should be the safest. So why don't you want people to feel safe there? Why, why are we more concerned about maintaining a status quo and keeping up appearances than actually being holy and safe and a place that yeah. God would be honored there? Yeah, how weak do you think your God is? Mm. Just deal with the wrong, deal with the evil, root out the evil. Even if it's scary, even if it's earth shattering, you know, you really should get rid of what's wrong and God can take care of God. <laughs> yeah. If you really, if God is really as big as you think he is, as you say he is, then he'll be fine. It, mm. it doesn't make God look bad to deal with the wrong that's happening in the church. Mm. That's, mm. I mean, that's like the weakest point because that's what everybody in the world is pointing out the hypocrisy. And that's what's making God look bad (laughs) instead of actually dealing with it. And that's why I just, it's weird. Like everything in the IFB, it's always framed as like, it's a satanic attack. If someone says something like that, or they're not right with God, or they've gone off the deep end, they're bitter, what all the code words to discredit Mm -hmm. that person. But really all you're doing is making yourself look bad and, you know, not, not genuine to the people that you claim to want to reach. So I guess that's as a normal, a normal like layperson in the church, just listen to people. Yeah. And if you're really their friend, listen to them for sure. Yeah. If there seems to be credibility to what you know they're saying or something that needs to be dealt with in a church setting, then bring it to the leadership and then you can observe how the leadership reacts. And if they're just defensive immediately, that doesn't really line up with what mm-hmm. scripture says about dealing with sin and humility and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the one, yeah, one thing to remember if someone approaches you and shares their experience or speaks up about how they were hurt, the first thing you do is listen. The second thing you do is believe them. Mm-hmm. The thing you do not do is immediately try to correct them. Mm-hmm. on how they said it or maybe you know maybe they should have told it differently don't listen or they needed to just trust god more. believe them don't correct them understand even if it's uncomfortable but start there and then take it slow take a step back think through these things like okay how should we really handle this it doesn't feel comfortable and you immediately feel like jumping to the defense of the leadership the church whatever But, you know, just start with listening and believing somebody. One of the most harmful things that's done to survivors is that when they finally get up the nerve to share their story, people immediately discredit them, side with the abuser, correct them, Mm -hmm. and they don't 
they they feel like, well, what's the point? If, they're traumatized all yeah, over. Yeah, you're re-traumatizing people. Mm-hmm. Oh, you are you are causing harm if you immediately try to jump on somebody and silence them or correct them when they share right. their, their experience. You have to realize this is not Frank Peretti's world. This is not something where demons are trying to destroy your pastor. Like mm-hmm. if somebody is coming out talking right. about this, they do not stand to gain anything. Mm-hmm. There is there is no win for them in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jenna and I were just talking about this uh, in regards to like sexual abuse. If there's a celebrity sexual abuse allegation, I could understand why somebody could potentially doubt it because maybe you have a lawsuit. Maybe there's something where the person could try to get some money out of it. I'm not saying they're not real. Obviously, a lot of them are. But when it's in a spiritual situation, there is nothing to gain. Mm -hmm. You are not getting money from that church if you find, if, they find out that the pastor really did something wrong. You know, like there, there's no benefit mm-hmm. to the victim to mm-hmm. come out and tell the truth. They have everything to lose and nothing to gain. It doesn't make sense for them to be lying about it most of the time in right. a spiritual situation. Yep. Yeah. And maybe you believe other people, maybe you believe other churches are like that, but you think, well, my church isn't like that. But it's really important to look at not just the practice of the pastors, like if you don't have an abusive pastor, like, yay, that's awesome. Um, But you need to look at what the pastor is teaching as well, because like if he's teaching the umbrella of authority or the same thing without that particular name where it shows like the hierarchy of like, you know, um, God is over over the woman, like it has all the umbrellas stacked up on top of each other or something similar to that. Like, at Falls, they called it the authority principle, mm-hmm. which they got from Gothard, who called it the principle of authority. Such a creative <laughs> reverend. Definitely not plagiarism. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're teaching that, then you are teaching toxic theology, or you know, even what you, you could say it's abusive theology to some extent because you're saying God said this when that is nowhere in scripture. You're enabling the foundation of the next generation. So, for example, like our pastor. The, the last the church we were at here in North Carolina, he taught that mm-hmm. in a sermon. He gave it as an example. And I talked to him afterwards about it and said, like, you do know that comes from Bill Gothard, right? And like, I think that's kind of problematic. And he's like, I still think it's a really good illustration. And I'm like, I can't feel safe here anymore mm-hmm. because that is the foundation of spiritual abuse is that teaching on authority. Because if you don't think the pastor has authority over you, or, you know, your husband or, you know, your parents, if you don't think they have spiritual authority over you, then they don't have the same level of control and you're not in danger of spiritual abuse like you are if you believe those teachings. And so if, if your pastor's not a bad person, like they're they're treating everyone well, but they're teaching that, then they're setting it up for the next pastor who comes in, who maybe he's a narcissist, or maybe he just wants to control people and make them do what he wants so his church can get bigger or for whatever reason, but you're setting them up to be spiritually abused. And that is also very problematic. I think it's also worth pointing out that like, I challenge anybody to look at the Bible and find a time where God said that something bad happened in the religion and, oh, it was, it was just the fault of the people. Like find me somewhere where that happened. You will honestly find more faithful God fearing 
heathen characters in the Bible, then you will find faithful, God-fearing religious leaders in the Bible. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like three good priests in the entire Bible. <laughs> you know, and and I can name more than that that were Canaanites that were good characters in the Bible, you know. Like there is never a time when God says, Oh, it was just the people, it wasn't the establishment. Do you know what God did when the religious establishment was messed up? He burned it to the ground. Mm -hmm. He burned his own religious establishment to the ground. And I don't mean metaphorically, I mean literally. He allowed Babylon to come in and destroy his holy temple because yeah. it was sinful, because it was abusive. He allowed it to happen again with Rome in AD 70. He allowed the Philistines to come in and take his own ark because his religious leaders were being abusive with his people. Yeah. Sorry, I got preachy there. But that is what God thinks of abuse. Don't You yeah. don't have to protect him. You don't have to protect the church. God would rather it all burn down and he can start over. They got the ark back. They got the temple back. And even now you say, well, there's no temple there. There are still Jews. There are still Christians. Like the faith has continued without that corrupt establishment. Mm -hmm. So I, I think it's much more important that we follow God's heart for the abused, for the oppressed, for the hurting, for the victim. That's what Jesus said he came to do is to heal the brokenhearted, not to stand on the side of the people who broke their hearts. And when you're looking at the churches and what your church is teaching and things, Something I've heard people say is, well, just eat the meat and spit out the bones. <laughs> I've only ever heard that phrase used in regards to very abusive teachings. Mm. Like, you just need to eat the meat and spit out the bones because they just, they really want to believe some of the things that these people are teaching. I think that people who were saved as adults or moved into an IFB church as an adult, I've seen where they do not follow all the rules as carefully. They don't actually believe all the stuff. But their children will believe it. Their yes. children will follow that or think that they're supposed to be following that and they're bad people if they're not. They're being indoctrinated from a very young age. And so it might be all well and good for someone in their 40s to be like, oh, I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I don't really like I believe the gist of it, but it's, you know, whatever. It's OK. Like, I don't follow all of it or I don't believe all of that. But that's that's not what their children are going to do. No, no, some of the adults have the the processing power to separate those things and say, yeah, I choose to follow this and, and not that. The kids don't have that. And I don't mm -hmm. think these people who set up these systems realized how far the kids would take it. Mm -hmm. And in the moment, they're proud of it because they think, oh, the kids are just really following after God, taking it to the next level. But you don't realize that since they didn't have that capacity to well, chew the meat and spit out the bones of what you said. <laughs> they are just taking the whole thing and choking on that. And, and also, yeah, the if you join an IFB church as an adult, that is not your entire spiritual or religious experience. Mm -hmm. Well, but your parents we, were atheists. Yeah, my parents were atheists years. for many years. And then they they became Christians in an Episcopal church and then went to different, you know, so they, you know, they were middle-aged adults by the time they went to a Baptist church, but I grew up in it mm -hmm. and it's a very different effect. Yeah, um, I see some of the people, the kids who I went to school with who grew up at Falls, like they were there much younger than me. They're the ones who have the hardest time. They basically had two choices. They could toss it all out Mm -hmm. or they could go into the system full bore, like just dive in, succeed within the system because they they can't take a middle ground. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't happen. 
So that's, it does have a huge effect on the kids. All right. Well, it is late at the time that we are recording this. So Chris, Rachel, I want to say thank you again for taking the time. I think this will be a really helpful conversation. Uh, So before we have to wrap it up, is there anything else that you want to mention? Uh, Feel free to plug your podcast and uh, where to find it. Anything else? I'm sure you'll link to it, but you mentioned the name several times, Finding Normal. We are inconsistent about when the episodes go up, but they do come. And they are usually long. So we we tend to do that, but that's where you can find us. We live in North Carolina. So I don't know how much of an audience you have down here, but we're always happy to, you know, hang out with people in person too. Yeah. If if, um, someone, you know, was kind of local to where we are. So. Yeah, southern side of the state in general. So, uh, yeah, if any other listeners are down in that way, uh, feel free to reach out. I think the website that has your podcast has like an email contact or something on there. Yes, right? yeah, you can get to us through the website. There is a there's an email address attached to it, so it'll it'll get to us and we can we can connect that way. Yeah, feel free to reach out if you have questions or something we haven't haven't addressed or you think we missed. It's fine too. Other than that. Stay curious, keep asking questions and keep an open mind even to things you think were, you know, for sure, everybody believed them. Love it. Chris, Rachel, thank you so much for your time. Everyone be sure to check out their podcast, Finding Normal, and we will be back next week. You've been listening to The Bible Uncut and Unfiltered. We hope we provided a healing place to discuss the questions you can't ask and the context you won't learn in church. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you take a minute to share it with a friend? You could also rate and review on your podcast app. If you'd like to donate to keep our work going, you can go to our website, thebibleuncut.com, and click on the Support Us tab. While you're there, check out the recommended resources and blog where we post show notes and other articles. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.